Well, I was late. Sorry about that. And uh, I can tell whenever I'm late that uh, I'm running around with my head off my body or something. We keep ourselves busy. You guys did good. Thank you for being patient. And uh, hey, we have Scott here tonight. Hi, Scott. Scott, glad you're here. We're blessed. And Robert back there, glad to see you again. And of course, Beth. So, we're blessed, guys. Thanks for coming in and joining us. We are in 1 Samuel. We've been doing a Bible study uh, dealing with that book for quite a few weeks. And before that, we did uh, Judges and Ruth and Joshua, I think, before that. So we've just kind of been going through uh, books right in chronological order here. We are in chapter 25 as we move along, and uh, we are moving. Uh, the deal is now is that David, who is a man of God, a man after God's own heart, he is a great example of a believer and who is really desiring to do God's will. And as we look at the life of David, we as Christians can identify with that because David has his ups and downs too. He is human. He is a man. And he has his struggles. Now, we've all been there, like for instance, when we do something right, and I mean we know it's good, we know it's God's will, and we're amazed that God is working in us, and we're glad that we've done something that is worthy of of the Lord, of His work. Uh it's interesting though, every time that you seem to do good, it seems like not too long after that, we fall right flat on our face. Has that ever happened to you? It's like Elijah in the Old Testament, of course, in, in Kings, First Kings, I guess, Elijah took on 400 false prophets and he won because he had the one true God. They had false gods and they were false prophets. And we know that God came through and He showed that He was the powerful God with all the strength and um, the true God always wins. Uh, Elijah, shortly after that, then becomes, after he becomes standout, you know, and for everybody to see that this is a man of God. And then there is one woman by the name of Jezebel who scares the kajibis out of him because um, she was, I guess they were after him all of a sudden. So he goes on a run and gets away and he gets depressed and everything. This is after he won a great big victorious battle. Uh, Peter, think of Peter. Jesus asked him, Peter, who do you say that I am? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And shortly after that, Jesus says, I'm going to have to go to Jerusalem. They will kill me. And Peter says, No, 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 Lord. That doesn't have to happen. And this is after he made the great confession of the Lord. And then he's saying, No, you don't have to die. And what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. And so Peter's here, and then boom, just like that. They're all human. And we have battles with sin. The flesh and the spirit are battling constantly, and we win a lot, 
but we do lose sometimes. So uh, this is kind of what we see here tonight. That's what we are going to see in our text. Because David just scored a tremendous victory as we looked at it last week in chapter 24. He could have had a temptation to kill Saul finally. And Saul has been after him for quite some time. And, uh, you know, you would think this would be the time. There he was in the cave and a great opportunity. David refused to raise his hand against Saul, the one who had been anointed by God. He even regretted cutting off a little piece of his robe after he did that. And then he revealed himself to the king in a very humble way, uh, but he showed that he was the righteous one, and Saul saw that uh, he himself was not, but David was. Just one chapter later, we're going to see David with thoughts of extreme vengeance and desiring to kill somebody that is by the name of Nabal and some innocent men that are with him. And you can say, this is David who denied killing Saul when it seemed like he had every right to do it humanly. And now in this chapter, we see him desiring to kill men. And so that's what we're going to look at it uh, tonight. We have uh, Nabal and Abigail and um, two extreme opposites, really, who are married to each other. And she was a beautiful, wise woman, uh, along with uh, a godly submission, as she has here. And it takes an unusual form here. But that's what our text is tonight as we study this. A lot of verses here, but it's, it's a story that just uh, kind of progresses very rapidly. So we'll we'll try to take on 44 verses without uh, too much trouble, I believe. Except for my being late for about 5 or 10 minutes. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, great God, You are certainly a holy God. And that's what we need to see always, constantly. That You are the God who is righteous and perfect. We know we're not. We're human beings. And even as Christians, we still battle with sin, Satan, the world, and we have temptations. But Lord, we do have the strength through your Spirit to be able to defeat the enemy. And so Lord, we want to draw upon that tonight as we look at this and we see how you work in us. As David almost fails, we see that you worked in him and worked through a person to keep him doing something very drastically bad. And Lord, you do that constantly in our own lives as you keep us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Alright, we have a first verse that is separate from this whole story. And how it's divided in this way, I'm not sure. But we'll we'll take that verse on too. It's kind of like um, a very important verse but it doesn't really fit the rest of the story. Or does it? Anyway, let's look at uh, verse 1. It's really a great loss to Israel and David. David especially, I think you could say. Then Samuel died. Just like that. I don't know where. Then Samuel died. 
And all Israel gathered together and mourned for him and buried him at his house in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. David has been on the run from Saul for quite some time. In and out of different places, uh, he and his 600 men, and uh, in caves and different places in the wilderness that it's hard to find uh, any kind of man or even 600 men. Uh, When David spared Saul's life, Saul had a great confession. But David didn't trust him. And so Saul went his way, and David went his way. And then comes this verse, Then Samuel died. This is a great man of God. This is the great prophet. Matter of fact, he dominated much of 1 Samuel. Of course, the book is named after him. He was the author of much of this book. At least most will say that. He's a central personality, isn't he? And so, uh, what, what had he done? He designated and anointed Saul as king. Because God told him to. So, you know, whatever God told him to do, he did, didn't he? Uh, he also informed Saul that his kingship was going to be taken away by God. God told Samuel that. Samuel then immediately goes to Saul and tells him that. Uh, he anointed David as Saul's replacement. David hasn't become king. He's on the run. He will become king, and he knows it. Samuel was a man to whom David could uh, flee to. He was a great man of God. He was the man of God during this time period. David learns a lot from him. But uh, anyway, while he is being pursued by Saul, he had gone uh, to Samuel in chapter 19. We saw that. So Samuel is dead. This has to be a great loss, not only to David, but the whole nation. They look to this man. This is one of the greatest men of the Bible. I mean, very holy man of God. So after this time of mourning, David once again goes into hiding with his men. They go into the wilderness of Paran. Now this is a wilderness where you might remember Hagar. Hagar had a son by the name of Ishmael. And this is the land where they went to. Uh, whenever they were sent away by Abraham and, of course, you know his wife Sarah. That was back in Genesis. It's also, also the place where the Israelites camped out uh, after leaving Mount Sinai, that wilderness of Paran. Uh, another thing about it, the twelve spies, when they went out to spy out the land of Canaan, it's found in Numbers, uh, I think, chapter 10, chapter 13. And so this is the place of David's hiding now in this particular wilderness. And you can imagine how he's feeling that Samuel is now gone, the great spiritual leader that Israel has had. And uh, so he passes on. And uh, David is going to have to be quite the man of God to stand out to people, isn't he? Now, they, of course, they have priests. There are people who are godly, but David is going to have to be a leader in that way. Sometime soon, he will be the king. Now we get into the story of Nabal and Abigail. And uh, David has probably got to be kind of still kind of mourning over this. 
Anyway, verse 2, we'll go through uh, 2 through 8, I believe. It's a pretty good section. Now, there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel, close together, a few miles apart. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And it came about while he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now, the man's name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. And the woman was intelligent and beautiful in appearance. But the man was harsh and evil in his dealings. And he was a Calebite. Hmm. That David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, visit Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say, Have a long life, peace be to you, peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. Now I have heard that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we have not insulted them, nor have they missed anything all the days they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we have come on a festive day. Please give whatever you find at hand to your servants and to your son David. Interesting situation. We uh, run into a couple of characters here we have not seen before. Uh, Nabal, Abigail, and it's shearing time. And it should be sharing time by Nabal. He's a very rich man. He has people that work for him, a lot of that have worked for him. And David actually uh, gave a big hand to them, uh, protecting the sheep and the shepherds. And it was time to kind of pay up a little bit from coming from Nabal. He knows what they've been doing, and they've been treating the shepherds out there very well. And uh, it would... It was at a time, and it always is at a time, that people are thieves, and they are rebel-rousers, and of course they could do all sorts of things with the sheep and steal them or do things with the shepherds, whatever. Uh, along come these two characters here, and Nabal is a wealthy man. It starts off with, and then it, a few verses later, it not only says that he's wealthy, but that he is uh, he's evil. He's harsh, and he's evil. That's not good uh, combination, being wealthy and then harsh and evil. That's the kind of man that he is. The opposite is his wife, who is Abigail, who is very wise, uses wise words. Uh, Nabal, his name means, anybody want to take a guess? <laughs> Fool. Yes. <laughs> And actually, that's kind of what fool really means. It means not having any true right knowledge or wisdom. And so, that's the kind of man that he is. And so why would a mom name him that? Yeah, that's what I have been asking all along. Who would name a child that? Or was it a nickname that everybody gave him and it stuck? Well... Anyways, sometimes it's interesting how people get names and it really fits who they are, well, especially in the Bible times. God told, you know, like, you know, uh, um, um, who would be the mother or the father, what 
the name would be, and of course John would be one, you know, from Elizabeth. Uh, Isaac was another. What's that? Isaac was another. Yeah, right. So, and then God names them or renames them too. So, anyway, it's interesting that it came out that way and it's not by accident, evidently. And so, good question. (laughs) I don't have a perfect answer for you. And I'm sure you know that I didn't. (laughs) But anyway, I'm sure the mother, who knows, maybe they had a different name and as they saw the child grow up, they changed the name. The mother that named her kid Ichabod. That was something really, that's something really bad. The Lord has departed from this place. Why would you name your kid that? Okay, I've got to tell my story now. Uh Uh-oh. This is not really it. Biblical story by any means, but I have a friend who worked for the child abuse hotline many years ago. He might still, I don't know, but he worked for him years ago. And I was talking to him, and he said he got a hotline one time about a child named Dijonese. And he said somebody must have had a really good sandwich. And I'm thinking sometimes moms just don't know. <laughs> was, was that's, you're talking about the mustard, right? I, that was the child's name. <laughs> Well, what Mustard. About the names that come to corrections. Yeah. One, one lady named her kids rayon, nylon, and something else. Polyester. <laughs> yeah, okay. There you I go. Know. I, I know. Dijon names. That's always the Dijon. Dijon names. Well. I hope nobody hears somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Well, here, here's another name right here that um, is interesting, isn't it, Debbie? Did did your yeah. granddaughter get this name that came from right here, yes. Abigail? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And one of these days, I prophesy that she will start a column in a newspaper <laughs> called Dear Abby. No, just kidding. Well, anyway, no, because Annie wanted the same initials so that she could pass on her stuff. So she was looking for an A name, and then she took Abigail out of here. I kind of thought that. Abigail wrote <laughs> right here. so that she had AR for initials, just like Any. her mom. That's why Anita's got her name, because I wanted her initials to be A-J-H. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sometimes that's, I mean, poor Annie didn't get named, and she was like 10 days old. <laughs> we couldn't come up with the name for Annie. <laughs> so Abigail, a wonderful Wisdom, intelligence. That goes a long way, doesn't it? It sure does in this story. We know that at such times, like the law of Moses, you know, it'd be, uh, it tells people to be generous, um, take care of the ones who are not fortunate and such. You'll see that throughout the law. For David to ask Nabal for a gift is not unusual at all. Remember, they're out in the wilderness. There's just not much anything out there for food or hardly anything. Here they've been out there protecting the sheep and now they're time for to have a festival. That And this is, you'll see it throughout Scripture occasionally where whenever it's time to shear sheep, it's a big deal, you know. So the owner here who is doing really well, 3,000 sheep, 1,000 goats, 
that's pretty incredible. That's how they measured wealth by, uh, for one thing, you know, the animals that you would have. What time of the year would this be? Because sheep are usually sheared right at the end of winter. Because that's when their wool is the thickest. And you shear them right before it gets warm. So Would be about right now, maybe? Well, uh, is the Middle East got the same kind of weather time span as what we have? Um... Kind of, only, of course, they're not as cold there as we are. Sometimes it's it's kind of on the, almost like a California weather that they have. It, for the most part, there can be, you know, any like any place. But you've got desert weather there. So it anyway. probably would be this time of year. Pretty close. I'd venture to say that that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? So, you know, it'd probably be before the Passover, maybe, possibly. Passover will be coming up before too long. One it probably sometime in April. No, so, it's the last Sunday. It's the last Sunday in March. Is it in March? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's quick. Early. Easter is or mm-hmm. Resurrection Day. Passover is. Okay, so it's so usually there. The same, they run pretty the close, don't they? Sometimes they can be about a week off or so, <laughs> something like that, depending on on how the moon goes. So what we have here is that what David is doing by sending them in there is a reasonable thing. It's not that they're going there begging, but this is what people would do if they are needy and they, they need food, don't they? They've probably been starving pretty well and they help with those sheep and there the sheep are you know, being sheared. And it's that time uh, David sends his ten young men they pronounce a blessing upon Nabal one blessing upon another, and they call uh, Nabal's attention to the fact of, uh, hey, this is shearing time. You've had quite a beneficial service here, and um, we've protected your flock. And so that's what they do. David told them to do that. They say what David uh, tells them to say to him. They stand before him waiting for a response. So that's where we get into verse 9. When David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words. And David's name, they then waited. But Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants today who are each breaking away from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men whose origin... I do not know. So David's young men retraced their way and went back. They came and told him according to all these words. David said to his men, Each of you gird on his sword. So each man girded on his sword. David also girded on his sword, and about 400 men went up behind David while 200 stayed with the baggage. I wonder what he is in mine. Well, we'll see that in the next section. Well, uh, they didn't get a generous gift. Uh, Number one, there's maybe four things that could be, and there probably could be more than that, but he has some options. He could send the men back with a word of thanks and a generous gift. He could do that. That would be what a, a man of God would do. Uh, Number two, Nabal can send David's servants back with a little less than a generous gift. 
barely living up to the, the obligation. I just give them a little bit of something, you know. But at least he'd be giving something. Number three, he could send, he could send the ten men back to David with an apology, or at least saying thank you. No gift at all. At least a thank you. But no, he does what number four is about. Uh, sends them back without any gift. And on top of that, he insults David and the men. And he declines to give them anything. And that's the option that he chooses. Now you can say, well, he doesn't, he can't trust David. He doesn't know who David is. Oh, really? He knows who David is. Yeah, he's, he's a fool, all right, but even fools know who David is. Um, well, he calls him who is the son of Jesse. Exactly. You caught that, didn't you? Which is his father. Exactly what I think. I think that's what the jab is. This guy's beneath. You're, you're no king of mine because you're just a shepherd. You're right. That's exactly right. You're a shepherd boy yourself. He called it on the head. And there's more evidence there. He uh, also... Um, the son of Jesse, right? Nabal is a Calebite. Ooh, what kind of guy is that? Well, he's not representing Caleb very good. Caleb was a great man of God. The Calebites are from the tribe of Judah. Where's David from? The tribe of Judah. Probably a distant relative. And so, uh, you look at this and... This man is a representative of the tribe of Judah. Are you kidding me? And the Judah, you know, I mean, Caleb was one of the two spies that went out to spy out the land and came back with a favorable... What's that? Yeah, right, exactly. Well, you know, it's interesting that Nabal speaks here only of David as a servant who has fled from his master. Oh, he, he knows that too. He ran away from Saul. As far as he's concerned, he's like a runaway servant. He was a servant of the king. Well, he was forced out from there because the king tried to kill him several times with the spears and other different ways and different people that he had to try to get to kill him. And so we know why David is on the run. So does he know about David? Full well. But he asks, who's David? Who's that? You know, who's the son of Jesse? Why does he say that anyway? Um yeah. yeah. So, I mean, the evidence is more than you can. You actually need to be convinced that this man knows about David. I think he's revealing his own arrogance and uh, his snobbery. Uh, Nabal, being a Calebite, comes from an outstanding family. Saul is coming from quite a family, a great history there. And it's almost like he's saying, should a man like me, and this is where his arrogance comes in here, give anything to such riffraff like David? David is, you know, he's from the tribe of Judah. Right. 
So. The best, the best piece I can put on it, and this just came to mind, I've never thought about this before, but do you think he could have been afraid of Saul at all? Oh, wow. <laughs> I think that's very possible. Sure. I'm sure. Why should I give him the time of day? Saul could hear. Well, considering what Saul has done to other other places, yeah, you might have been worried he's going to get wiped out by Saul. Does anything for David? A lot of people are afraid. And that's why a lot of them have kind of chosen the side of Saul, although they know he's evil and they know David is a good man. But we, we and we've seen that. So I think that's that's enlightening. I think that's very very possible. Doesn't say it, but uh, there's definitely reasons why he's not going to do it. Plus, he's kind of a man that is really wealthy, and he's not going to give his money to anybody unless he really asked it. Well, and even being afraid of Saul, doesn't have to be so rude. That's true. <laughs> yeah. He could have said thanks, but you're not. Yeah. Just you guys, just go your own way now. Well, David's men return back to David empty-handed, bringing nothing. It's like, what are they going to be eating? This is all the hundreds of men. And, you know, they were kind of counting on this. Um, David just loses his cool. Just loses it, just like that. Strap on your swords, let's go. Let's do it. And so off they go. Um... David is angry. You don't usually see David angry, but it happens. We get angry. We don't like it when we get angry, do we? Especially when we catch ourselves being angry, and we know we shouldn't be. At least for this kind of uh, anger here. Uh, he should have been angry at Saul. Maybe. No. Uh, he proved uh, how uh, of an honorable man that he was by not killing Saul when he had the great opportunity. But here it's different, isn't it? Well, I don't know. David does good toward Nabal and all his household. David expects Nabal to respond and instead he receives nothing but an insult, really. Now that's interesting. David's expecting something out of somebody who he really probably shouldn't have expected, but I don't think he really knows him personally. Uh, I guess he is learning who he is now, but he feels justified all of a sudden, just like that, for the intention to kill Nabal. It must be okay to kill him, because he's not the king. And look what he's done to us. Yeah, he's a jerk. And David could have very well done it with all his men gone down there and well, took him on. Yeah, been justified. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like I say, Samuel, I think David knew like where, I mean, like where, why Saul was mad is because he knew he was coming and he was going to be king someday. So he could kind of overlook him and then because that position someday he was going to hold. So I think David's sitting there thinking, well, yeah, I, got, I should be respectful because someday that position will actually be mine also. So to have this guy just coming out and just calling him riffraff just was, yeah, yeah. We'll see. Yeah, you're gonna. Yeah, I mean, he really stuck it at David. This is not just some kind of thing. Hey, just forget about it, you know. No, he really ripped into him, you know, and didn't get anything, and then got that insult, and that did it. And for David to get angry, it is unusual, I would say. 
He's been very patient. More than patient. At least comparing it to people. (laughs) Too many of us, and all of us really, sometimes reason the same way that David does. Now, I'm not saying that we'd like to kill somebody, but Jesus said, if you even say something about somebody that is really bad, you've just killed them in your thoughts. I mean, I mean, he just cut it to the quick exactly what it means. When you, when you call somebody raka, you fool, you know, in a bad way. And that's like, it's like killing. That's really that. So that you've committed murder in your heart, you know. Of course, the you know the the uh, leaders, the Pharisees and such would say, "We don't kill anybody," but yet at the same time, with the language they had and the way that they looked at a lot of people, they had murderous thoughts in their minds. David is wrong. He expects that you do good, you'll get back good. <coughs> that doesn't always work that way with anybody. Don't always, <laughs> whenever you've treated somebody very, very well, you may not always get the response back that you would think. And that's where he is really disturbed by this. Saul responded with evil rather than with good, and he confessed to David at least David somehow is willing, though, to deal with the testimony that, or I guess you could say, that the treatment. Sorry, that Saul hands out, um, and that was okay. You know, not okay, but you know, he overlooked that. He kept forgiving Saul. This man, he's not going to do it. Why would that be? Well, Saul is the king. He's superior. And, of course, he is anointed by God, and he uh, respects that. But Nabal is not David's superior. David is not thinking or acting, though, as a man of faith that we saw back in chapter 24. That was just last chapter, wasn't it? It's not the same kind of faith that we have seen. And he sets out to kill Nabal. I don't see a prayer here. I don't see anything. They tell him it. Boom! Grab your sword. Let's go. We're going to do some killing tonight. So we have to be careful to do our good works as unto the Lord. You can do things for people and never ever get paid back. It's okay. It's okay. Let it alone. God will take care of it. God sees your work. Whether it be from the daily work that you do, that you make a living from, or whether it be work that you do, maybe just helping somebody out, whatever it is, whatever you do, do heartily as unto the Lord. It says in Ephesians chapter 6, I do believe. So, you know, that's where we're at on this. It's one thing to serve in order to be promoted or be reimbursed. It's another thing to serve to be demoted. And boy, he got that. I mean, as far as what came back from Nabal. Let's go to the fourth part. Verse 14. But 
one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he scorned them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we were not insulted, nor did we miss anything as long as we went about with them while we were in the fields. They were a wall to us both by night and day, all the time we were with them tending the sheep. Now therefore know and consider what you should do. For evil is plotted against our master and against all his household. And he is such a worthless man that no one can speak to him. Oh, great. Now, what kind of a guy is he? Well, he's rich, but being rich doesn't make you be, doesn't have to make you harsh. And also, what was the other word? Uh, evil and a fool. And now we see that he's worthless. My word is scoundrel. Scoundrel. Scoundrels. That's what he is. I'm a little bit surprised that one of the young men would say that to his wife. To his wife. They had to have known her character, though, too. Still. I I think that's right because as you know, he serves Nabal and he observes this whole encounter and he knows, uh oh, something really bad can happen now. And he knows that um, Abigail knows all about Nabal. They all know all about Nabal. And some of the things he says, what he does, this time um, it could be just disastrous. Gonna re- what, the benefits right. of what just happened. Nabal could care less. It'll get some new guys, you know, out there. And these guys are sitting there saying, no, they had our back and they were protecting us. Like, oh, and when David gets there with his 400 men, he's not just going to kill Nabal. Yeah, he's gonna the whole household, the men, everybody, all, all the men. Yeah. And, you know, the servant doesn't go to Nabal and tell him <laughs> that. He can't reason. But he quickly goes to Abigail, which he he's very wise in what he's doing. He knows something about Abigail, and she listens. Yep, doesn't get a name. Well, if he's a believer, we have the rest of eternity to find out who that guy is. <laughs> But uh, quite a situation. I'm glad this guy went up to Abigail and gave her some um, insight of what was going on. She didn't. Now she does. And she knows, uh uh-oh, what am I going to do? And she figures it out real quick, doesn't she? She doesn't ask because she knows what Nabal's answer will be. I mean, she doesn't go to him either. She doesn't inform him of what is going to be happening here. She got the supplies very quickly. Now, can I ask a question? Is it okay for her to do what she did? Yes, it is. She is one who is a submissive wife in the sense that she respects that. But, you know what? In her submission, she's actually protecting him and the whole household. And he's such a fool that he's putting in danger the lives of not only all them, but you know, everybody that's associated with them. And she recognizes that, and even though you know she, there's submission that she has had, and she'll put it on display with David also, 
But um, and that's why where the wisdom comes in. But it's interesting about the supplies that she gathers so quickly because David and his men are on their way, and she's going to meet them somehow in between there before they get to their place. Um, why would you think she could get the supplies so quickly? Well, remember I said it was a festival? They're already available. They're there. Now, I'm sure that Nabal probably missed some things. Where did, where did I, you know, they don't take everything, but they take a ton of stuff. Those men do whatever they can handle. She probably would have given them more. But um, that's what's happening there. She gets to them real quickly, and there it is. So now... We get to verse. Um, did did we read eighteen through twenty? No, no. Abigail hurried, took two hundred loaves of bread. Two hundred loaves. You you just can't gather that up that quickly. Well, if they're already out there, you can. And two jugs of wine, five sheep already prepared. See, there's no way that she'd had time to do that. So that having the insight of this feast that they're having with everybody, now it makes sense why she could do it so quickly. And five measures of roasted grain and a hundred clusters of raisins and two hundred cakes of figs and loaded them on donkeys. She said to her young men, go on before me. Behold, I'm coming after you. we got to do this quick. Go. But she didn't tell her husband Nabal. That's wise. It came about as she was riding on her donkey and coming down by the hidden part of the mountain that, behold, David and his men were coming down toward her, so she met them. Well, I think the Lord is in this. You know, this is not by accident. Uh, David, of course, it was probably one basic route that you would go, but great timing. David had said, Surely in vain I have guarded all this. Uh, man has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him and he has returned me evil for good. May God do so to the enemies of David and more also if by morning I leave as much as one male of any who belong to him. That's what David said. So David, I mean Abigail is responding while David is reacting. She's responding to what the ser- uh, that servant, the young man, came up to her and said, and sh- she got things together. That's a wise woman, and it is quick. David hears it, boom, he's ready to do it. He doesn't think about it, doesn't pray about it, boom, this has got to be done, he, and there he is on his way. He's serious. Well, he said, this God, would have happened. He said, may God. Well, that, yeah. And and Saul has been throwing God's name around yeah, too all yeah. the time. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, I don't think David is acting in a holy way here. Even though he would say, you know, righteousness has to prevail here. Let's take care of this. Yeah, but but God takes care of things, doesn't He? And He knows that God has been doing it all along. And all along, right here is what God is doing. Behind the scenes, he uses a wise woman, Abigail, to keep him from doing something very evil himself. And this is God's man. God works in us, doesn't He? He works through us. And this is what is happening here. He keeps that from happening. And He uses somebody very, very smart to be able to get through to Him. He is angry. 
Verse 23, when Abigail saw David, she hurried, dismounted from her donkey, fell on her face before David, and bowed herself to the ground. He's not king yet. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord. Catch this. I think it's like 14 times she calls David my Lord. A very respectful greeting. Sir. Maybe a step up from sir. Be the bl- on me be the blame. And please let your maidservant speak to you. Let me speak. And listen to the words of your maidservant. Please do not let my Lord, again, pay attention to this worthless man, Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, she's calling him a maidservant. She is from a rich household. Her husband is loaded. And so she is too. And she says, she's a maidservant. Did not see the young men of my Lord, whom my Lord again, of whom you sent. Um, anyway, you see her responding here? Um... Let's keep on reading here. Now, therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord, she's calling him Yahweh, you know, I really believe she's a believer. What do you guys think? Has restrained you from shedding blood and from avenging yourself. You know what? She knows the sovereignty of God. She gives the credit to God. He's the one that's keeping you from shedding blood. And when she says that, David goes... And from avenging yourself by your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek evil against my Lord be as Nabal. Now let this gift which your maidservant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who accompany my Lord. Please forgive the transgression of your maidservant. She's saying that she has done this in the sense, you know, that's from her family. So she's taking all the blame. That's incredible. She didn't have anything to do with that. But she's representing her husband. For the Lord, Yahweh, will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house. She knows about his kingship that he's going to have. Because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord. King David fights the battles for the Lord. It's the Lord's battle. He fights them. It's, it's not our battle. It's the Lord's battle, isn't it? And we always have to remember that. I think her theology is really good. Where does she get this kind of wisdom at, right? And evil will not be found in you all your days. It sure would have been. Should anyone rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, then the life of my Lord... David, shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies He will sling out as from the hollow of a sling. God will take care of them. It's the Lord's battles, right? And when the Lord does for my Lord, when the Lord, Yahweh, capital letters, right? That's a personal God. It's a covenant God. It's a personal name of God. 
does for my Lord, David, according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and appoints you ruler over Israel, this will not cause grief or a troubled heart to my Lord, both by having shed blood without cause and by my Lord having avenged himself. When the Lord deals well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. Oh, wise words turn away wrath. Remember, I think we talked about that last week. Soft words turn away God's wrath out of the what was that? Out of the Proverbs, wasn't it? Wasn't that our title last week? Well, that's David is the one who had the wise words, and he softened Saul down. Now it's David is on the other end, and he's getting the wise soft words, but yet she's making a plea here too. Falling on her face, calling herself a maidservant, calling him Lord. Six times in this paragraph, Abigail speaks of herself as David's maidservant. Fourteen times as my Lord. She is pleading with him, save the life of my husband. And what that means is the lives of her whole household as well. I'm sure there were plenty of times when she would thought probably it would sure be better if he didn't live. Her husband, he must have caused her all sorts of grief. That's what she knew. That's why she knew she was a maidservant because she had him as a husband. Yeah. She probably never had that. Was never honored by him by anything. You know, that yeah. Would be an arranged marriage. Yeah. Well, just other say that she probably. Her whole life felt more as a servant than she did as his wife. At any rate, she speaks, David listens. He was angry and mad, but all of a sudden it's like things changed in a hurry. And this is God speaking right through this Abigail, I guess you could say in a sense. She knew truth. She knew wisdom. She knew God, you know. And she's acting in that out in, in the right way. Um, Abigail calls her husband a fool in our text. It may be the thing which keeps him alive. <laughs> you remember when David went to the Philistine city? It was, was it Gath? Where he had to fake like he was crazy? <laughs> you remember that one? <laughs> anyway, might have saved his life here. Uh, but at any rate, that's what his name is, and that's exactly what kind of a person he is. The Lord has restrained David from shedding blood. Maybe she already knew what had happened with the incident with Saul. But also, maybe it's speaking ahead of time here too. She does indicate that the hand of God is in all of this, and that's what impressed me. She knows a sovereign God, and that God is restraining David here even at this time. She expresses her certainty that David will leave vengeance to God. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. We're not ever to take vengeance out on anybody. God will deal appropriately with Nabal as he sees fit, when he sees fit. How tragic it would have been had David done what he desired to do. That would have been a dark cloud for him all the way into being the king. How bad does that look? That's out-and-out murder. 
even though it seemed like he had the right to do it. Sometimes we think that way. When we don't think about it, we get angry. Somebody has done something to us, and we fly off the handle rather than wait. Speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> hey, I'm talking about me. Oh, I wasn't talking about you. <laughs> you're gonna say, "How did you know I did that?" Yeah. Well, I Can we identify I with David here, though? You've gone Can I believe it? Meddling. Meddling. Well, I'll tell you what, I think David might have been thinking that at first, (laughs) but he recognized wisdom because he's a man of God. And whenever somebody speaks the Word of God and truth, as a Christian, we should be listening and saying, you know what? They're exactly right. Mine. Thank you, Lord, for sending Abigail, right? He recognizes the wisdom in 32 through 35, um, wouldn't it have been a tragic act if that happened? David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day, there we go, sovereignty of God, to meet me. David knows the ways of God. And blessed be your discernment. Isn't this great? This is what God's people do whenever they come down and say, wait a minute, yeah, that's right, that's true, that's that's exactly God's Word. I know it. Blessed, I am so thankful for you, I'm thankful for God sending you. And blessed be your discernment, blessed be you who have kept me this day from bloodshed and from avenging myself by my own hand. Nevertheless, as the Lord God, Yahweh, God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from harming you. Unless you had come quickly to meet me, surely there would not have been left to Nabal until the morning light as much as one male. You know what? He's right. He would have done it. How many times have we come close to doing something really bad? Yeah. We've been there, haven't we? Thank you, Lord. Maybe He sent somebody to calm you down. Calm me down. So David received from her hand what she had brought him and said to her, Go up to your house in peace. See, I have listened to you and granted your request. In 36 through 38, we get Nabal in the hands of God now. Then Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house, remember, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. What do you want to bet? He got drunk a lot. And what happens to certain individuals when they get drunk? Man, they can either get really happy... Or they can go the opposite. They can get really mean. I think he was mean all the time. But here he is. He's very drunk. Abigail knows better than... There's no use to even talk to him now. She knows him. So she didn't tell him anything at all until the morning light. But in the morning when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things. Goes right up to him tells him. Here's what I did. And his heart died. 
within him so that he became as a stone. It's like he came paralyzed with fear. It's like he gets either a heart attack or a stroke. About ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. So he suffered there for ten days. The color just drained from his face. You know, he begins to comprehend the magnitude of his folly of what was really could have happened. It was going to happen. And he has this fear and his heart, whatever happens there, happens. And God strikes him dead ten days later. That was from the hand of God, not from the hand of David. And that's what David wanted all along about Saul. Not from David's hand, but God's hand. And we finish it up 39 through 44. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and has kept back his servant, David, from evil. The Lord has also returned the evil doing of Nabal on his own head. He returned, God returns evil for evil. David sent a proposal to Abigail to take her as his wife. Oh, he's already gone. So God's a little mess. I know, I know. When the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, they spoke to her saying, David has sent us to you to take you as his wife. It was almost kind of like, hey, you're to go down there and you're going to get married to David. We don't see her say so in here, but actually we do. She arose, bowed with her face up to the ground, and said, Behold, your maidservant is a maid to wash the feet of my Lord's servants. The Lord's servants. Then Abigail quickly arose. She's very humble, isn't she? David is going to take care of her. Because he knew that God took care of his her husband. So now he's going to take care of her. Okay, but... but, but. Abigail is living in something that looks more like a palace, and David is out in a cave. Well, that's true. That's true. So I mean, out in the wilderness, out on the run. If I'm Abigail, no stability. I'm around thinking, no. That's a really good point yeah. because she's living in a pretty good place, yeah. and she, but I'll tell you what, she's, she's got everything now. look what she owns now right, and. Look what David and his men now are going to have. Which she wouldn't inherit that because she's only a woman. Uh, well, she is the wife to to live on with it. She's you know she's going to be taken care of here. I tend to think it doesn't say here, we, and we're at the end, so we can't we can't be talking about it. Abigail quickly arose, rode on a donkey quickly. I mean, she gets out of there. Her five maidens who attended her, and she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. Okay, uh, we don't have enough time, but I know what's going through your mind. Now David also had taken Ahinoam of Jezreel, and they both became his wives. Evidently he already had a wife, or wives. What happened to Mishal? Well, 44, and Saul had given Mishal, his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was from Gallup. She was not out with him all that time. So Saul said, okay, you take another one. And of course, that was a punch to David. Well, I guess so. In the meantime, he has a Ahinoam, and now he has Abigail. And 
God really in his words says one man, one wife, one woman, one wife. Uh, he never says it's right to have that. Jesus never, as he says in the Gospels, that it's one man, one woman. Okay, we're not saying the Bible says this is a good thing. By the way, we never see good results out of it. There are consequences that go with that for the the wives and for the husband. And we've seen that time and time again, it is not advisable at all. God had already pointed out, here is what is right. You see godly men. We know Abraham did the same thing. And you see it over and over. And now David's, and then Solomon with 700 wives and concubines. Does that make it right? No, not at all. It's wrong. David... Maybe he saw, and he saw some of the great men of God who had multiple wives, and he's thinking, hey, that's the right thing to do. Did God ever say that that was right? No, no. Well, good sense to tell you is kind of dumb. I mean, one Always man is. and one woman yeah. can't really hardly take care of one man and one woman. That's right. And Samuel, who just died. Uh, we know came from uh, a mother who was married to a man who had another wife. Do you remember that? And so it goes on and on, but we know that that reaped a lot of heartache, but what did God do? He worked through it. Even when mankind, uh, His own people, are sinful, it's amazing He still works His plan. Not to say there's not consequences, but God's going to do what He's already done. He is sovereign. And boy, did you see the sovereignty of God in the story. It's not really about Abigail or Nabal or David. It's about God. Amen. Our story is always about God, but look how He uses His people. And He uses people to warn us, and that's why we need other Christians around us, because we can be apt to go off the path and and sometimes you might identify and you immediately go to somebody you trust who knows the Word of God and you talk with them. Hey, what do you think about this? Oh, you really want to know? No. <laughs> At any rate, I think that's fascinating. This Abigail is a fascinating woman of God. Let's close a prayer and thank you all for coming out tonight. It's been a pleasure. It really has. With Thank you. Dear great God, You are holy, You are awesome, and You are sovereign. Thank You, Lord, for a story like this which elevates our thoughts of who You are and working in Your people. And Lord, we know that we are human and we still have the flesh. And we see David many times working out of the flesh and yet Your Spirit comes and keeps him from succumbing to a great or a greater evil. And Lord, you do that all the time to us. So many times we catch ourselves, and it's really not us doing it, it's you. All the glory is to you, God. Thank you this evening with special people that have come tonight to be able to worship with us and study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. By the way, when you leave here next week, 
it will be light out. If I don't come in late and take you ten minutes after seven, no, actually it'll still be light after that. After seven o'clock, seven thirty or so, it'll still be light out. You can go home. You'll be home. Going in the door, it'll still be light out. So, but yeah, Sunday, Sunday morning. Weeks, it'll be light out anyway. We don't have to mess with the time. 